the underdog the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world my name is hannah grant and i'm the administrative assistant and social outreach director at the animal law firm i will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder christina bergson in order to create more content for our lovely viewers as i interviewed these amazing people i was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Almira Tanner here to talk about her position at Direct Action Everywhere, their work on the Smithfield trial in Utah and her background in animal welfare. Direct Action Everywhere's mission is to create revolutionary social and political change for animals in one generation. We are grateful for their hard work and lucky to have Almira on the show. So thanks for being our guest today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Well, we can just dive right in then. Can you tell us a little bit about your expertise and what you do? Yeah, so I'm the lead organizer of Direct Action Everywhere, and we are a grassroots network of animal rights activists. And because we're grassroots, that means that we have a little bit of a different structure than maybe some of the more traditional like NGO type organizations. But I think my position is essentially equivalent to what an executive director would do, which means I do a little bit of everything, um, kind of jumping in to fill all the different roles that need to be filled, um, doing our fundraising, helping with our strategic planning and all of that. And what that looks like for DXE is doing a lot of community organizing, community building and nonviolent direct action to create a mass movement for animals in order to achieve revolutionary social and political change in one generation. Okay, awesome. Can you explain a little bit about who you directly support and your your goals as an organization? Yeah, I mean, who we support is, I would, you know, not to sound too bold and overdramatic, but all the animals and life on this planet. I think, um, you know, the way that we treat other animals and the way that our planet is being destroyed are very interrelated. And so, what we're trying to do is create a world that is better for everyone. And I think that that's who we're, who we're supporting. Okay. Awesome. Um, how long have you been in your field and how did you get started? Um, I have been an activist. I mean, kind of on and off here and there a little bit, but I would say like very kind of seriously doing activism and organizing grassroots organizing since 2014. Um, I was started doing some protests with DXE late in 2013 in my hometown of Vancouver because there are chapters all over the place and then um, moved to California which is where DXE is kind of headquartered in 2016 and I have been kind of in my position since late 2019 but I would say it's coming up on close to 10 years of doing pretty um, intense full-time grassroots organizing. Okay, great. Um, do you have any uh, recommendations or tips for, for people who, who want to get involved in what you do? I would say just like find a local chapter of an animal rights organization in your area that could be DXE or it could be like the SAVE movement or something super local to your community and get involved, go to meetings, go to actions, go to community events, go to potlucks, all of that kind of stuff. And if there isn't something in your area, you can start one. Uh, We provide a lot of support for people to start 
um, their own chapters. I think sometimes people maybe think that they need a lot of background experience or that it's going to be very scary or they need to go out and get arrested for the animals or something like that right away. That's totally not true. Um, a lot of communities start with just getting a couple people together to hang out and meet each other and then start thinking about what sorts of campaigns they might want to run that seem the most appropriate for you know wherever they are because every city every country has probably something something a little bit different that they might want to work on so um yeah just get involved and I'm sure you know there'll be links and stuff in the show notes but if you want to try to find out how to get involved um, you can go to our website, directactionover.com, and then there's information on signing up for a mailing list and how to find a chapter and how to start a chapter if there isn't one in your area. Okay, awesome. Do you, what are all of the different um, kind of roles that that people play um, in these organizations and and just trying to get involved in activism? Yeah, so there's like really um, a countless number of things that you can do. And I think that that's one of the things that's really incredible about a grassroots network is it's not like, oh, we have like these job positions open and then those are the things that you need to do. Honestly, like whatever talents that you have, like you can probably figure out a way to apply them. So just as an example, if you're a musician, which there are musicians in our community, there are people who write songs that we can play at actions or perform songs that other people have written or things like that so that's just an example of how kind of endless the number of things that you can do to help um kind of some of the more traditional roles that people might be thinking about at least in direct action everywhere is we have like a protest team that organizes the protests we have a press working group that handles all of the media that we do um, then we also have like a social media team, of course, that manages Twitter and and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok until we got banned on <laughs> that platform. Um, <laughs> we have like a legal working group, of course, that manages all of our cases. We work, we have like um, kind of support roles, like our tech team that helps all the websites not fall apart and look great and fixes all of the problems that we have. We have a media management team. We have a design team. We have a fundraising team. We have a team that supports all of the other chapters. We have an animal care team and then like community groups that plan community events and outreach to people in our community and support them as they train them to become kind of the activists that they wanna be. And then we work with sister organizations like our sister organization, Compassionate Bay, which does legislative work. So lobbying for bills to be introduced and passed and um, you know, trying to change the law for animals. And that's just like a small sample of the ways that people can participate. So whatever it is that you're really passionate about, I feel like there's a way to apply that for animals. Okay, very cool. I love that there's there's so many opportunities for all different kinds of people. And I think that's what's really cool. And what, you know, really makes a difference. You need you need that amount of people to to really make a change. So that's very cool. So this is kind of a personal question, but I, as an individual, I would be concerned about like the safety. Do you face many threats or much resistance against your organization at protests and the online, all of the above, I guess? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yes and no. And I think a lot of it depends on where you're organizing. And I don't want to make it seem like every location has the same level of risk. And when we are talking to people who are organizing in different areas, you know, we kind of say like, don't necessarily just look at what some other place is doing and then feel like you have to replicate that because I will tell you like the police response in rural states 
Um, it's very different than in the Bay Area. So I'm in the Bay Area. Um, I feel like resistance generally is quite low. Uh, people here are very used to protests. Um, there's protests all the time in San Francisco. The police are more used to protests. So while I, I never ever tell anybody there's zero risk because that's just not the case. Like there's always some level of risk for doing anything. Um, I think that in the Bay Area, the, the risk is relatively low. Um, people obviously say mean things on social media, but that is a, I think, standard thing that happens on social media across the board. Um, that being said, I think a lot of times people who are a little bit familiar with direct action everywhere will see videos online and kind of, you know, understandably get the impression that most of what we do is go out and get arrested. And the reason that that, it's just that that's the kind of stuff that tends to get media attention and go viral on social media. So that's the things that are more publicly seen. But the reality is that the vast, vast majority of people in our organization are not doing that. There's no requirement that you put yourself in like a legally risky position. Um, there's really no requirement that you even really go to a protest. Of course, we encourage that. But if someone just, you know, for whatever reason, really, really does not feel safe doing that, that's totally fine. Um, and yeah, so it's like, you know, I think that the the arrests and civil disobedience are super, super important. I think that's a vital component of any social justice movement. It's been a part of how change has happened in the past, but it's absolutely not something that everybody has to do and feel pressured to do because, yeah, people have careers or um, immigration status or different parts of who they are that makes that, that makes that a little bit riskier or children that they can't just be in jail for. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I hope that that alleviates some concern if anybody had any. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Thank you for explaining that a little more. So what is one thing you wish you had known when you began working in the animal welfare field? Um, I wish that, I guess this is very specific to grassroots organizing, which is my experience, but I wish that people had told me how much of the work is really dealing with other people, other humans, I should say. Um, yeah. You know, the, the actual activism sometimes is the easier part than building and sustaining a community and managing a lot of different personalities and conflicts and disagreements. And I just wish that that was understood as just part of the work. And I think that that's, again, typical across social movements. Like MLK is famously known for saying that he spent more time actually dealing with internal stuff than fighting for civil rights. So um, I think that's just part of what it means to be a human being. Uh, but I wish I'd get, gotten a little bit more of a heads up about that. Yeah, definitely understandable. I think anyone wanting to make a change, you know, they have their eyes on the prize and then, and then you realize all the different factors that you have to take into account and uh, mm -hmm. how many people you need to, to really make a difference. So totally understand that. So we, in the intro, kind of talked a, a little bit about the, the Smithfield trial, and I was wondering if you can explain your role and your work in that. Yeah, so I didn't have, in a sense, like a very direct role in that as my position lead organizer. I kind of just have my hands in a lot of different buckets and making sure that all of the things are moving in the right direction and working together. So our campaigns, like are you know on the ground stuff the convergence of people coming to to smithfield um i was doing the fundraising for it but then also just making sure the legal stuff was there the communications was happening like i wasn't actually responsible for any one of those specific things but together 
uh, well, I was responsible for the fundraising, but that's kind of like the minor side point. But together, the trial, just making sure that it all kind of, it worked and it happened. Um, I was also one of the people that was running the Smithfield trial Twitter account. So we had a Twitter account specifically for this case that kind of blew up a little bit. I mean, not in the grand scheme of things, but we started the we started the trial with less than 300 followers because I mean, you know, the trial hadn't happened yet. And um, we ended with like 30, I think we're at like 3,500 followers now. And there was like, you know, tons of engagement and everything like that. We were live tweeting, you know, I'm talking like hundred plus tweets every day of exactly what was happening at all times in the trial. And that was very exhausting because you're just sitting there tweeting away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was one of my, one of my roles there. Okay, very cool. Can you explain the case a little bit for any listeners who don't know anything about it and where they can learn more about it? Yeah, so um, I'll just say where you can learn more about this case and a lot of other cases that we have is righttorescue.com. That's, um, we have cases that aren't rescue cases, so those aren't listed there, but all of the ones that are rescue cases are. So essentially, this, this case started in a way in 2007, not really, but the backstory is that in 2007, Smithfield Foods, which is the largest pork producer in the country, uh, owned by WH Group, a Chinese company, which is the largest pork producer in the world, released a statement that they were going to phase out gestation crates um, by 2017 within 10 years. And this was widely applauded by the animal welfare movement. Um, The gestation crates are kind of two foot by seven foot essentially like metal crates where pigs are forced to stay in while they gestate, while they are pregnant until they give birth. You cannot uh, turn around. You are forced to lie in your own feces and urine. You can barely move back and forth. I mean, these are large pigs and this is a two by seven foot crate and they spend their entire pregnancy in this crate essentially. So horrible. Um, I think people who aren't really animal rights people think this is horrible. So Smithfield proclaimed they were gonna phase them out. They would be totally gone by all their company farms by 2017. And we wanted to see if that was true. So in 2017, in March, um, some activists, five of them went to the largest Smithfield pig farm, which is Circle Four Farms in Milford, Utah, Beaver County, Utah, and documented what they saw, which was not that surprising, rows and rows, like thousands of gestation crates. It appeared that the company had made no progress towards phasing them out. And there's just, just horrific cruelty. And there's horrific cruelty in a pig farm besides gestation crates as well. There were mother pigs who had kind of given birth, like stillbirth in their own feces and piglets were, were dying and laying there on the floor. There were serious wounds because the pigs are like rubbing up against these bars. If you if you know about pressure sores for humans who are stuck in a hospital bed or something like this is just significantly more trauma on people's bodies in these these farms from the conditions that they're in. Dumpsters mm-hmm. of dead piglets, just horrible. And they filmed this entire investigation with a 360 degree camera um, because one of the things, which is just ridiculous, that the industry says is that we sometimes stage these investigations, which we absolutely don't, but having a 360 degree camera would make it even more obvious this is really what we were seeing. 
And in the course of the investigation, they came across two piglets who were very, very much in need of help. I think every piglet in that farm is in need of help um, and deserves to be rescued. But these two piglets, later named Lily and Lizzie, were very injured, injured foot, barely able to walk. Um, another one was like nursing blood from her mother's nipples. And they kind of assessed that if these piglets were not taken out, they would die. They would make it, they wouldn't even make it to the slaughterhouse. They would be either thumped, which is a practice that they use in the pig industry where they slam piglets against the floor to kill them, um, or they would just die and end up in a in a trash, you know, really literally in a dumpster. So they took Lily and Lizzie out of the farm. They took them to a sanctuary. They took them to a vet. They got treatment and they started doing better. And then, you know, after this investigation, we started pitching this around to journalists and the New York Times was interested. And so in July of 2017, the New York Times um, published this piece about this investigation. But like all good journalists, the New York Times reached out to Smithfield for comment. You know, they always try to get, you know, quote unquote, both sides of the story. And so it wasn't until that moment, you know, a couple of days before this New York Times piece was published that Smithfield even knew anything would have happened because this farm ha raises 1.2 million pigs every year. They're not going to miss two little piglets. So yeah. they didn't know. And that's when they started freaking out, um, which is just proof that they don't actually care about these two piglets. They care about their reputation. They care about the public being made aware of this. And that set off a uh, ridiculous series of events that included Smithfield's high, like, you know, leadership positions at Smithfield, talking to leadership positions at Costco, like the Costco CEO even involved in this, because Costco is one of the main buyers in Smithfield, the FBI, and the Utah Attorney General's office, and the local county, you know, district attorney. And over, you know, eight or more FBI agents were mobilized to raid sanctuaries in Colorado and Utah looking for these piglets. So these are, sanctuaries are like shelters for farmed animals. They are peaceful places. And you have FBI agents arriving armed in black SUVs, you know, basically barging in saying, where are these piglets? Um, very luckily, the piglets were not returned anywhere. They were Lizzie was mutilated. Uh, FBI agent cut a chunk or, you know, enabled a veterinarian to cut a chunk of her ear off for DNA testing. But the piglets are still alive and at their sanctuary today. But that was just ridiculous. And in the months following that, they also then charged all five of the investigators with serious, serious felony charges that were totaling up to 60 years in prison. It was like a racketeering charge included in there, making this like a mafia type case. Very absurd. Um, that was in those charges came down in 2018. So between 2018 and until trial started in October of this year, um, you know, the case was kind of progressing. Um, people were offered deals. Three of the three of the activists took those deals where they um, pled guilty to like smaller charges. And then those can, you know, they were never actually convicted because after they served the terms of their probation, the charges went away. So they don't have that on their record anymore. But Paul and Wayne were, were the two activists who refused to take those deals and decided to go all the way to trial. Um, some of the charges were dropped before trial started or, you know, not that, or, you know, along the way. And so mm -hmm. when trial actually started, they were facing two felonies, 
two felony burglary charges, one misdemeanor theft charge, which at the time totaled to a potential of up to 11 years in prison. That's how the trial started. The trial happened. Um, I don't know if you want me to go into all those details because it's very long, but the end result of it was that jury of eight people unanimously found them not guilty on all counts, which was incredible and very unexpected. And so we won. And that's kind of the somewhat short version of that story. Yeah, that's that's an intense story. And I'm really glad that hopefully this can set an example for for future cases and really be a very progressive decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's that's awesome. I, I love all the work that you guys do. And hopefully they can take some responsibility for for what they've done and yeah it's just yeah, it's, would be it's nice. a very it's a very brutal case and and I encourage everyone listening to go and check out the full details of the case and the trial um because I know that it was it it was very intense it was a good one to follow for sure mm-hmm. so obviously this this was one that that held a, a special place in in the animal law firm's heart but I wanted to to ask you and see if there are any other cases that you wanted to talk about or you feel you had a large impact on and just want people to know more about. Um, hmm, cases that I personally have had a large impact on. Um, I, I would say like the case that's probably the most relevant to me that's coming up is one that I'm a defendant in and we don't have a trial date for that. But these these sorts of cases where go in, investigate, rescue animals, and then once the company finds out they charge us is like somewhat of a recurring theme in DXC. And it's it's something that we, in a sense, uh, relish because we want to have these conversations in court. We want to challenge the law and we also want the public to be made aware of it. And it's media enjoys court cases, you know, like it's a, it's an exciting thing to cover. So I think, um, yeah, on that righttorescue.com website that I was referring to, there's a couple uh, big ones coming up, I think. One that actually has a trial date. However, I would put money on the fact that that trial date is going to change just because they always do is a case in Wisconsin where actually Paul and Wayne and then a third person, Eva, rescued beagles from a beagle breeding facility. So this is a facility that breeds dogs, specifically beagles, for research across universities in the country. Uh, maybe outside the country. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Um, and they went in and rescued them, and all those dogs are still alive today, too, and doing well. And then um, the other case that's kind of involves a lot of defendants and felony charges is an amalgamation of three actions that took place in Sonoma County, California, which is just north of San Francisco. These were all daylight actions where a large group of people went to farms, first a chicken farm, second an egg farm, um, third a duck farm in the middle of the day, totally nonviolently, just walking on, documenting what's happening and, and rescuing animals. And that's the case that I'm a part of. Um, there are six defendants total. We have 37 felonies amongst us. And we are in the stage of doing our preliminary hearings. And so once those are done, which they should be done by the end of the year, we may have a trial date. Okay, very cool. Um, uh, where can, uh, is it on that same website people can keep up with the trial and when there is a date set? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And on that website, there's an open letter that you can sign to support. And that also gets you on our mailing list. And that would be, that's like a good way. So you don't have to keep like looking at the website. You know, we just get on our mailing list and we'll tell you when things are happening. Okay, great. Um, Maybe you can't 
maybe you don't want to share this for confidentiality or whatever. I was just curious, where are you, um, like take rescue animals? You don't have to like specifically, but mm-hmm. are, do they go to sanctuaries or, or private families or how does that work? Yeah, um, both. Uh, it kind of depends what opportunity, like placement support there is. Um, one kind of tip, if anybody's listening to this and wants to go out and rescue animals, is like we never rescue anyone without a home lined up. I think that's really, really important that if you are going to rescue someone, you know where they're going to go um, because you don't want to, you know, dump animals on sanctuaries who maybe don't have the capacity to take care of them. So make sure you have a plan first if you're going to do anything like that. And I would also say that's, you know, you should have a, a long, long plan and have a very good understanding of all the things you're about to do if you're going to engage in this type of work. Would not recommend just going out and doing it. There's a lot of things to consider. But um, yes, sometimes they are homes. You know, people have chickens as companions in their backyard um, or living inside their house, just like you would a dog or a cat. Or other times there are sanctuaries, you know, that have, you know, much more land um, that you know you wouldn't probably bring a pig or a cow to someone's home maybe temporarily but um, you know unless they live on a very 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 big big (laughs) plot of land okay great so do you have lots of close relationships with other sanctuaries then yeah we have we have some and and yeah like like you kind of alluded to in for the safety of the of the animal we don't disclose specifically where they are Sometimes they have different names, um, depending on, you know, like they, they have their social media name and their real name and those sorts of things just to protect them. Okay, awesome. If um, I just wanted to put it out there, if anyone wants to offer up like a placement for animals or if there's a sanctuary that has space, um, would you want them to contact you? And if so, how? Yeah, you can always email us um, through our website. I think the general email um is dxc at directactionnetwork.com. Okay, great. Um, what are the best ways for people to support you and find you? Do you mean me or dxc specifically? Um, or... I guess both, depending on yeah. if you want people to contact you directly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think for Direct Action Everywhere, um, going to the website. So, you know, the righttorescue.com website is kind of also one of our sites. So if you sign that letter there, you will get on the main direct action of our mailing list. You can also just go to our website and sign up for the mailing list there and then you'll get updates. We're on, you know, Facebook, direct action everywhere, uh, Instagram, direct action everywhere, Twitter at DX everywhere. Um, and just like following us there and you can like share our stuff on social media. Um, the best kind of gift I think for the animals is to come out in person. So like find if there's a community by you and get involved um, or start a chapter. Um, and if you feel like you're super busy and you don't want to do that, but you want to donate, you we also take donations. Um, that's on the website as well. Um, so they, there's lots of different ways to get involved. And then I'll do one pitch for an event that's coming up in June. We don't have the specific dates yet, but we will. And we will definitely get notified if you're on our mailing list, which is the Animal Liberation Conference. That is our mostly annual conference for grassroots activists. We've had over a thousand people there before. It is probably the largest grassroots animal rights conference in the world. Really amazing um, time to learn from people, meet new people, and then take action together. 
And I would highly recommend if anybody's interested, even if you've like never done anything for animals before, but you just like, you know, I want to see what that's all about. Come to the Animal Liberation Conference. Um, it'll be June 2023. Okay, awesome. That sounds great. Um, thank you so much for providing all of that information. Um, and I think that we should take a little break here and we'll come back and keep talking. Awesome. Hi, everybody. We're back with Almira Tanner with Direct Action Everywhere, and we're going to get a little bit more into the heart of what she does. So I wanted to know what the most rewarding part of your work is so far. Ooh, um, I think like anytime we, even if it's a small thing, like achieve something together as a community, like, I mean, obviously the trial was like, a very big win but even smaller wins like you know we get a resolution passed or we get a response from an elected official or something like that it feels so amazing to be able to do work that I really care about with people that I really care about and people who share my values and also are like working so hard for um, making the world a better place so I would say like that in general but I genuinely think the biggest win we've had is this Smithfield trial acquittal so if I had to pick one it would probably be that definitely I'm sure all of the the steps along the way you're just like we're one step closer one step closer so that's yeah that's very awesome um what is one thing that you've experienced on the job that you didn't expect um I think that probably is similar to what I had shared earlier just about um the amount of of work it takes to build and sustain a community I think it's you know you mentioned like on the job it's this isn't like I'm not an employee it's not a job job most of the people that we are working with are volunteers um there's people from all walks of life we have hundreds of people who come to DXC events just in the Bay Area every month and so yeah, it's a lot to manage that number of people and um, keep everybody happy as best as possible and get us all working in harmony. Definitely. Do you think that as, as social media, the, the biggest way that you that you organize people? Um, we use social media as like a funnel to get people to stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm speaking specifically for the Bay Area chapter that I'm a part of we have our weekly meetups every Saturday at 11 a.m. in person. And that is like kind of our gathering place. Okay, awesome. And is anyone welcome to come to that or do they have to yeah. sign up first? Nope, everybody, everybody's welcome. You don't have to sign up. You don't have to um, be an animal rights person. You just, anybody can show up. Okay, great. Um, what is one common misunderstanding about your organization? I think that that's probably the the idea that all we do is you know these dramatic risky civil disobedience actions and that if you're not down to do that or you can't do that then there's not really a role for you I think that's totally not the case and um but I also can understand why people see that because again like that's the stuff that gets in the media that's the stuff that does well on social media so I can understand where that perception comes from but it's, it's very much not true. We have a ton of community stuff, people from all walks of life um, participating, and there's absolutely no requirement that you put yourself in like legally risky positions to join. Mm-hmm, definitely. Do you think that the the perception of activism is changing and how people think they can make a difference? 
Yeah, maybe. I think that the Black Lives Matter uprisings in 2020, like really, I mean, was obviously incredible for their own right, but also did a lot to get general, um, you know, U.S. Americans to understand the role of protest. Uh, many more people probably went to their first protest in that uprising than, you know, than in any other sort of kind of you know, mobilization. So mm-hmm. now people can be like, wow, I, you know, I am a protester. I did go to that action. I did go to that rally. I did go to that march. And so I think um, that was like, yeah, obviously just a very, very powerful movement um, for multiple reasons. And one of them, I think, was normalizing this idea of protest. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think, um, I think eliminating that, that stigma and like showing how much of a change it can, it can really make is, is super important. Mm-hmm. what is the most important lesson your career has taught you so far um, I know that's a hefty question but <laughs> yeah I, I don't know if I want to like say this is the most important lesson because it's hard to like but I think one very important lesson is is uh like persistence and grit I think there's been a lot of times and I'm sure people have experienced this where like oh my god like everything is feels like it's falling apart and I can't do this anymore but I think that's just normal and pushing through that and being gritty and sticking with things even when things are really hard even when you think that things you don't know how things are going to turn out um like pushing through um has it has always kind of worked out for me in the end and I think it's very important and I think it's one of the things that I am proud of myself for is like my ability to be gritty and if you haven't read the book grit there's a good book about it um that kind of explains the concept and um, how you can develop your own grit. Okay, awesome. Yeah, definitely in the animal welfare field, compassion fatigue is a real thing. It's it's very hard when you're when you're working away at, at a problem that's that's so integrated and and so hard to change, but but things are happening and I I, I always try to remind myself of that. Um I think it's important to to celebrate the small victories along the way. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips uh, for making the world a better place? And it's a little cheesy question, but I get some surprising answers out of it. So I always like to yeah. ask it. I have to just like get involved, like get involved in a, in a community and it doesn't have to be animal rights. Like, you know, maybe you're like super passionate about um, racial justice or feminism. I mean, obviously like I think you know, those things are very important. I'm not saying I'm not passionate about those things at all, but like whatever it is that really calls you to like want to get involved. Um, I would say like try to like go and physically be in community with other people. Social media is awesome. Um, it's a very useful tool, but I personally don't think that it's enough um, if we want to create change. And so whatever that that looks like for you, um, getting together with people in person or in some sort of community where you're talking to people, organizing, doing stuff. Um, I think that that's probably the best tip that I can I can get. And I know that it can feel really intimidating if you're going to meet people that you've never met before for the first time or something. So bring a friend or contact the organizers beforehand, maybe set up a call with them if that's easier for you. Um, but getting over that hurdle and, and getting plugged in because is really important. Definitely. I think, I think having those passion projects really just like adds, adds a lot of like meaning to the things you do and and gives you something 
to like really work towards. So I, I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the biggest things you're looking forward to in the future in both the organization and your work? Um, I'm looking forward to more trials. Um, they're really stressful, but um, very, yeah, like very um, powerful. And it really feels like we're kind of, you know, trying to make history as they're happening. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to um, the Animal Liberation Conference in, in June because we didn't do one this year because we had some trials to schedule around and we didn't want to kind of find ourselves in a weird place where trial was happening close to the conference. And so I really missed having that this year and I'm very excited, very excited for that. Um, and then on a very, very short term note, um, next week we are having a strategy retreat with our kind of leadership team. And so I'm really excited, excited for that because you know we just won this big thing and now it's time to figure out what's next. Definitely, that sounds awesome. Um, for the conference is, sorry if you said this already, I'm not sure. Is Are people able to, watch any of the lectures online or do you have to be in person? How does that work? We do um, usually live stream some of the talks, especially like the bigger ones. Um, Cause I know that some people are in different countries or for whatever reason can't travel. That being said, I think it's like nowhere near the same experience, um, which is kind of like what I was alluding to earlier. Like being with people in person is just like, you can't put, I feel like you can't really put a value on that or like say like it's like two times or five times or 10 times more, whatever. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something about it. And um, a lot of what we do at this conference is like trainings and then taking action together. So we, we all go do a march together. We all go do a protest. And so that stuff doesn't translate super well to online. So short answer, yes, you can watch a lot of the stuff online or um, either live or after. But if you can come in person, highly recommend it. Definitely. And and forming those connections, I'm sure, is mm-hmm. just so beneficial, especially in this field. Like, just it's all about the people you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, is there anything that you'd like our audience to know that I haven't thought to ask you? No, I don't think so. You had a lot of great questions. <laughs> Okay, great. I hope we hope we did a good job of, of giving like an overview. I feel like I, yeah. I learned I learned so much. I didn't obviously we've we've communicated, but I didn't know that much about the organization as a whole. So I think that it's it's super beneficial and I hope that we can get the word out a little more for you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on and, and talking about, you know, obviously I think this issue is really important. So talking about this issue. Yes, of course. Well, thank you for joining us today. And I hope everything goes well with the rest of your trials and the conference and uh, everything that's coming your way. That was such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show. Or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs.